Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of Our Fair City is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Please enjoy the show. Um, all right. New question. In The Empty Seat... Deputy Director Harrison seems like a decent, even caring policy. Does director orientation brainwash future directors, or does having that much power make them so indifferent to the suffering of others? I wrote that episode, so I should have an answer. Uh, I didn't have an answer to this question at first, but when I think about it, I like the kind of air of mystery that happens with the like executive class, you know? Um, when we first see the directors, they describe the the liminal policies as being so small, like as though like everybody else who isn't living in that beautiful penthouse area gets worse nutrition and they're just physically smaller than the directors who are like almost like a, a, a different entity than we are. They're not a different entity, of course, but um, yeah, I think that definitely in Harrison's onboarding process, if not um, brainwashing, there's definitely very strong encouragement as to uh, what his new priorities have to be. You know, much like we see Foster Livy, like just so dyed in the wool, the company is everything. Like one of the board of directors has to really, really endorse that and view human life as a resource. Um, and if they don't, that's a real problem. Uh, so I, I wanted that glimpse into Harrison's humanity when he was younger um, to be there for the audience so they could see that uh, everybody, maybe not Chamberlain, but everybody in our fair city um, has some strand of, of human heart to them. Um, but sometimes they choose to cut it out for. I promise we're going to get to Chamberlain. So I think with with the directors, there's not only like um, I don't know, gene therapies and uh, you know CRISPR uh, and whatever else you want a buzzword in there um, that make them physically different. I've I've just like suddenly had this image of the directors kind of as. Um, you know, apocalyptic angels with, you know, 16 wings and 43 eyes on a ring and uh, stuff like that. But um, I think along with power corrupting, I think isolation also corrupts. Yeah. And the directors are kept so, so separate and are only kind of given an understanding. Like, it's not even that they're watching policies on video screens because like they like clearly when they see the policies 
in I guess season five um, when they when when we first meet the directors. Yeah, they say they're so small. So it's not just that the policies haven't seen directors. Directors haven't seen policies in who knows how long, and so like they have. I think when when you are isolated from another group of people, it's really easy to. I mean, we see this again and again. It's really easy to dehumanize them, and to stop treating them, tr- treating them as other and not worthy of of care and protection and uh, consideration. We I know we also uh, talked about them being older, like l- longer living than. Starting, most policies. starting to get a vibe of like Prometheus with like um, the engineers. That's yeah. exactly what I was. Yeah, thinking. definitely. I mean, I think, I think in terms of ages, you know, there's Herbert West, who has been alive since what the nineteen sixties. I was going to say nineteen nineteen ten nineteen twenty, uh, whenever. Uh, uh, no, before that, because um, uh, if, if, if we're in, judging if, by facial hair alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking in the original Lovecraft story, he's alive in World War One. Yeah. Um, so he's the oldest, and then um, there is Morrow, who was one of the original founders of Heart Life. Um, and then it we it seems like the directors have turned over since then. So probably none of them are as old as Morrow, but like maybe they're only one or two kind of generations of directors after the founders, um, all kind of replaced at different times. That's a a fascinating idea, too. And maybe I'm uh, behind in some ways, but like the idea that maybe Morrow and West, like uh, in their own like parallel paths were creating this uh, secret society of longer lived people that were looking at this super long game and Heart Life is unfortunately what that got misdirected into oh interesting Uh, another thing i would think uh, is in keeping with the the nutrition issue if one of the most obvious ways for you to uh show your wealth and to experience what it is to be of privilege in heart life is outdoorsiness like that would be an obvious answer for why they didn't have any sort of uh interaction with or viewing of the policies below them because i would think that another one of the things that you could have the luxury of as an option uh as one of the higher classes in heart life would be video i would think that would be one of the only places where you had that option but if it's like why would we do that we can summer here we're we're out playing tennis and camping in our it's not even like a holodeck because they actually have these things. Uh-huh. It's a it's a it's dome, a biodome. Yeah. A biodome. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 the directors are the only people that the directors like don't have to keep from going outside, so they can still control them. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm gonna transition us. We have a couple of questions about Cromwell, and then a bunch of questions about Chamberlain, and they kind of overlap. So I'm gonna like I'm gonna open this topic. And we can have a sprawling conversation, but start with start with these two these two questions. Um, the first one is: uh, Is Cromwell a crone? Let's try that again. That's no. not how that word is. That's he, not how that word not. is pronounced. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it matters, but yes. The directors will see you now. 
<laughs> I want that Halloween decor. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So for the first of the two questions is, uh, is Cromwell a clone? Has there been a long line of Cromwells? Uh, I remember Caligari mentioning something about another Cromwell in a vat. Uh, and how good is heart life at genetic engineering? And to riff on that, uh, someone else asked, so it seems that neither Cromwell nor Chamberlain are exactly human? And so are they both the result of the same corporate science, or are they separate, seemingly unkillable entities of their own? Okay, so I'm going to take a crack at Cromwell. Um, I, I also have lots of thoughts on Chamberlain, but I'll let Jim go first on those. Uh, so Cromwell is definitely a clone. Um, Crom and, and, and I think that is kind of most firmly established that um, maybe not even this Cromwell, but a Cromwell grew up with Caligari, and there has been the voice of Heartlife for much, much longer than that. Caligari is very old, but the, the voice that the directors have kind of trained policies to always listen to is Cromwell's and is... Um, is very ancient. Um, I kind of like to think that maybe Cromwell started off as a um, not a director, but like maybe a, a um, lower ranked member of the Heartlife Corporation, or maybe was like bred by the directors from kind of the the, the voices, the policies with voices they liked the best in the very, very early days of Heartlife and then cloned over and over. I, I, I see kind of a Matrix-esque like field of vats of Cromwells <laughs> uh, somewhere um, up high in the tower. And it's really gross. We call that the prestige. I just, I just thought of an, an, another alternate timeline I would love to see. Yeah. And a, a, a Cromwell apocalypse. <laughs> where all those vats just open and out comes an army of Cromwell. That's terrifying. It is terrifying. Ryan, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> one, one of the, uh, the things that I always wanted to work in somehow possibly in one of the comics or in an episode, was a scene where Cromwell and Chamberlain get into an elevator at the same time. <laughs> and and they're, they're just standing next to each other. And you can, f like, it's just, it, if it was a comic, it would just be, like, them standing there in complete silence. That would work really well on television. Nothing happening. Nothing happening. The doors open. Make one of them work, gets... Ryan. <laughs> One of them gets out, and the both of them, under their, their breath, both just say, amateur, at the same time. <laughs> because, in my mind, Cromwell thinks that there's no artistry to what Chamberlain does, and Chamberlain thinks Cromwell is a part-timer. Hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think Cromwell um, actually kind of breaks the rule of... Heartlife always finding a use for people. I think, you know, like when Cromwell has a cold, they shuck that body and devat another Cromwell, um, just so there's always a voice ready. Fun, fun fact, uh, Cromwell's voice is a 
somewhat but not highly exaggerated version of my phone voice uh, <laughs> when I'm nervous or very professional. So it's uh, it turns out it's way weirder in person, but also gets pretty creepy and weird uh, when it's just recorded. I think if you look at their functions within the company, Cromwell has to be the protector of the directors, but is also their steward, you know, and also their <laughs> their public announcement uh, recording person. So Cromwell, I view as a sort of elite bodyguard who's very, like, intricately, his life is intricately entwined with those he serves. And Chamberlain is more of a detective assassin. He's a killing machine. I think that Cromwell can kill and will if necessary, um, but that's not really his primary function. His primary function is to take care of the directors and guard them. And Chamberlain would make a lousy guard for the directors because he's just so trigger happy. Part of me wants to hear a version where Crom, where all of the announcements are live Cromwells, just waiting for the elevator to go up and down a floor. <laughs> Rather than recording apparatus, there's just a Cromwell like crouched behind ele- every elevator. That's hilarious. <laughs> so to go back to this question about whether or not Cromwell and Chamberlain are like the same, is Chamberlain also a clone? No. What? So, just to like, not to put too fine a point on it, but like, what is Chamberlain's deal? I think he ingested part of the meat wall when they were still in the experimental phase and it gave him immortality. <laughs> That's a great theory. I'll I like it. I like it. Let's see if Chamberlain can speak French. He, he, well, he definitely speaks at least one dead language, as we will learn in in the Chamberlain tapes eventually when they are released. <laughs> Jim has a bad habit of writing <laughs> writing parts for himself and then going, oh, I don't speak this language, uh-oh. <laughs> to be fair, normally I do that to other people. Fair, that's very fair. So when we were writing, I was always confounded um, beca- because Chamberlain is played by Jim, and, you know, was, I assume, created by Jim in the early days. And it's such, it's, su- it's such a character that is owned by Jim that I was always like, well, maybe, you know, when, when Chamberlain goes home, we see it inside his apartment. Right, Ryan? <laughs> we see inside his apartment in audio drama, and it's got all these, like, Hello Kitty things. And he's, he's like, such, he's got this, like, infantile sense of style and that's like his secret world like he loves like cute things and Jim's like no that's not Cromwell and I was like okay well (laughs) Jim says so (laughs) yeah (laughs) you own the rights to Crom I'm sorry you own the rights to Chamberlain I mean there is another uh of the comics which is just a day in the life of Chamberlain which is he he gets like four hours of sleep and he basically is just sleeping in everything he wears and then like gets up and then has his whole day. And then he like first thing he does is turn on his recorder. And the last thing he does is turn off his recorder and he sleeps full with sunglasses and his gun. in hand. <laughs> I, I always kind of imagined um, Chamberlain having Fox Mulder's apartment from the X-Files except like minus all of the furniture except maybe like a very sad chair that he like 
for several hours of the night would just go and sit in and like either stare out into the room or maybe like sit facing the corner and then like stand up and go back about his day. Like, and that was, that was Chamberlain's home time. Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's not really, but, uh, insider baseball bit. Uh, I mean, the original inspiration for Chamberlain was to be the anti molder is the idea that his job is to, you know, deal with these sort of weird X-File like situations and then cover them up. Huh? Nice. I have always felt like Chamberlain is the one character who is maybe not human um, and is like kind of exists outside of time and space um, and is more of a like supernatural force than I mean. So Chamberlain is clearly a piece of Heartlife and as a piece of the director's or of Heartlife's plan. I would actually say not the director's plan, but maybe of the actuary's plan. Um, and that distinction is maybe a longer rant. But um, that, uh, you know, I don't know. I think it's also, it's it's significant that he is this kind of unstoppable force and also is, is the owner of the only, well, so we, we hear two guns in our fair city. We hear Chamberlain's, and then there's the sniper on top of the tower. Um, and I think we only know that that's not Chamberlain because they only fire like once. Uh, but I think, I think there is something about Chamberlain being um, larger than life in a, in a very like unpleasant supernatural way. Now, here, here's here's another question, Jeffrey, because I assumed that the sniper was Cromwell. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think I had never really assigned a person to that, but I think Cromwell makes a lot of sense. I have a question. This is not a listener question. This is an Eleanor question. <gasps> is Chamberlain dead at the end of the story? I actually do not know the answer to that Damn question. It, Jim. Uh, I'm really upset about that. Eleanor, was he ever alive? <gasps> hate you guys. Well, here, here's the thing. The reason I don't know the answer to that question is because we were having a conversation about how to end the series between myself, who is kind of editing uh, things toward the end, um... Clayton, script editing. Yeah, yeah script yeah, editing. Yeah. Uh, Clayton and Jeffrey, Clayton who was writing the episode. And so that conversation ended without a decision. And then Jeffrey and Clayton went and, and made the episode, and I never heard the answer. <laughs> so I didn't actually know how the series ended until everyone else, until the episode came out. So, I mean, <clears throat> isn't the answer yes? Like, yes, he's dead? No, yes, he's alive. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the question was, is he dead? Oh, I but the answer is no. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's like, that's, that's definitely Chamberlain at the end of the series. The bugs? No, the, the juice box. Oh. <gasps> what? Oh, did we just blow your mind? Yes. 
take me a minute. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the the last moment is is the narrator looking up. What? <laughs> hearing it, hearing the tape recorder and the juice box. So, uh, Guys, I have a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. So the 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 final episode. I mean, I presume we're, we're we don't care about spoilers at this point. I, I would hope that people right, have listened yeah. to it by now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So part of the the challenge in that last episode is in when we started developing Livy's character, the environment. In, correct the environment in which we always hear him in. There's uh, there's the whine of the recording equipment that he always has going on, which is fundamentally the same sound effect is used at its heart that we use for Chamberlain's sound recorder, or field recorder. And so there, there was this uh, difficulty I had in trying. I had to figure out a way to 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 activate Chamberlain's recorder at the end of the episode without it being swallowed up by the environment that we always hear Livian, which is why we made the creative decision to cut out that that environment totally at the end, where it's just uh, Livy just sort of scrambling until you hear at the very end, right when Livy's about ready to sign off, you hear Chamberlain's recorder. St- snap on and you hear the juice box guys i can't do listener questions anymore i have to go re-listen to that episode like right this minute so so now here's here's the question i'm actually going to throw this one over to ansel is our fair city foster livy's recordings or is our fair city chamberlain's tape recordings of foster living's recordings oh god that makes my head hurt (laughs) i feel like if chamberlain were making a recording of Foster's recordings, he would have edited it differently. And that's the only clue I can think of that it's not just Chamberlain messing with the record. The sound quality would have been worse, I think, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, recording of a recording of a recording. Yeah, I mean, you can only get so much blood on tapes before the quality degrades. Well, we, we also established pretty clearly that at the time that Foster, that we hear Foster at the end, all of his existing tapes are crap. Like there's so much degradation to the or the to the tapes that Foster has access to at that point um, that the earlier stuff couldn't possibly have been uh, unless unless we're just giving it to like oh well creative license of course well because I mean at some point I guess you kind of have to to give way to creative license because in the end you're always going to ask the question well if it wasn't Chamberlain's tapes. And we hear the ending, and we hear Foster's last, last breaths. Who edited the whole thing together? Oh, that is a fair question. The Tempest Cetacea. The Tempest Cetacea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I imagine that, like, Foster Livy had edited them and was listening to them, and that Chamberlain was, was just sitting in the corner with his tape recorder on. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're his they're edited in the way that Foster edited them, but he's just, <laughs> we're just hearing it through. We're just hearing the last one. Yeah. yeah. I'm particularly disturbed by this because, like, you know how when you're when you're directing a play, you ask whose story is it, like whose play is it, and I'm like really disturbed by the idea that maybe it's actually Chamberlain's story. So, so I think Chamberlain for me here here is a piece of what. Chamberlain being there because Foster, you know, Foster makes a big deal of like, did, did, did like, did Heartlife leave something for me here? And it turns out maybe they did and maybe that was Chamberlain. And I think I, I like, part, for me, Chamberlain actually doesn't connect to the directors. 
And I don't think Chamberlain... Chamberlain follows the director's rules, but I don't think that Chamberlain is their tool. I kind of feel like Chamberlain in at, at many points is the tool of the actuaries, uh, who I see as the actual core of Heartlife. I see the actuaries as the vision and the the kind of truth behind Heartlife and the directors are just one of the actuaries tools. Um, and I think the actuaries, you know, used the Heartlife experiment to preserve some amount of human beings up until uh, the world would thaw enough for them to return to the green fields and then needed to clean up the vestiges of heart life because it was awful. Um, and I kind of see Chamberlain being there. And I, I, this, I also like, don't want to say that this is the canonical version and this doesn't stomp on anyone else's interpretation, but I've always felt like Chamberlain being there in the end is heart life kind of putting the last of itself in a box and going away. Um, or is alternately a way of being like, if you use these awful, horrific, violent tools, they will come back to you and they will end you in the end. Well, I was, I was just going to ask because really, is it, is it that much worse if it's Chamberlain's story rather than Foster Livy's story? Because that's, that's the alternative. No, it's not. But I just, I was used to that idea. <laughs> I was used to the idea that it was Foster's story, and now I'm I'm having a I'm having a little bit of a brain meltdown. That's all. I'd like to throw out that just because Chamberlain and Foster are there at the end doesn't necessarily mean it's their story. Like the end of Hamlet, Hamlet's gone. That's a very Most good point. of the main characters are <clears throat> on the you. floor. Thank you. That was very comforting. Yeah, yeah I so needed that. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly. Hamlet is the story of the gravedigger. <laughs> I mean, so I got to say, because Marcia isn't here to say it, it's Caligari's story. Yeah, is it fair to assume that up until and even in part of the final season, Foster has edited all of that material? But oh, whatever yeah. we're hearing in the last season is clearly Foster recording himself as he's going, but someone else has has edited that material. And if it's not Chamberlain... It's some later iteration of a person who's come to the tower. Fordenbras. Yeah, yeah. The, well, whoever our Fordenbras is. Yeah. I mean, for my, for my money, I think honestly that everything is comes out of Foster's recordings, except for the quiet piece of the the tundra at the end. And I think, or, or, rather, everything was edited by Foster's, and everything was shown from his perspective, other than. Mm-hmm this quiet moment. Uh, just because everything for me has to come back to Star Trek IV. Um, <laughs> I, I, so the way I, that I sort of answered that question was not only was um, the story of Our Fair City recorded tapes, but I always imagined that Foster Livy was broadcasting them and there was a radio signal. So much like the probes lose contacts with the whales in Star Trek IV, which is why they come back to Earth to investigate what happened. I imagine somebody else, a loyal policy to the company, found their way to heart life when the tapes ended, figured out what was going on or what had happened basically with the equipment and edited the final bit just for some conclusion, like a 
Uh, How is it that that's the darkest interpretation, at least for me, that I've heard, that, like, Foster does win in the end and someone does, like, raise the standard of heart life? Oh. (laughs) Whalian. Whalian. So I have like three more Chamberlain questions. So we're, we, we, got, we got more to go. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to take an opportunity to uh, pitch two things that I want to make sure we talk about while we're loving on Chamberlain so much. Because if people really want more Chamberlain content in their lives, there's both a lot of Chamberlain in the comic books, and we just released a really big fat book that has all of the comics that were ever written for our fair city all in one big fat volume along with a lot of other art that was made for the show which is called see you in the tunnels the art of our fair city which is available for pre-order on our store right now and it's going to get shipped out in august Um, and then the second thing i want to pitch is that we have this thing that jim just referenced called the chamberlain tapes which is this really cool piece of audio that Jim wrote and performed and we put together and we kind of have been like holding it in our back pocket for something special. And if you are really excited about that and really want that in your life, I would highly recommend that you join our Patreon for just like a dollar a month because then you will get to hear it before everybody else. Hey, 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 Mark. That's my pitch. Hi, do, I'm do you, Mark Soloff. Yeah. Do you, do you want to sing a song? <laughs> do I want to sing a song? song with me right now? Real quick. For old times' sake, I sure. Be, based on based on what just happened, why don't you go ahead and I'll start it. Lead me in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's time for plugs. It's time for plugs. It's, it's time, time for, for plugs. plugs. Not, Not drugs, but plugs. Give me a hug. Don't, don't actually. I thought we were gonna do a little bit of. Uh, Oh, my girl who lives Albuquerque always knows to do her hair. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Someday we have to get the whole song recorded. Yeah. All right, more Chamberlain questions. So um, we kind of already talked about this a little bit, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push us further. Uh, is the tower empty because Chamberlain came back and killed everyone? No. Okay. Uh, next Chamberlain question. Can I, can, can I just have one, one, one quick? Uh, so that question, it was the very first time I had listened to the whole first version before I even sent it off to Jeffrey of the final episode. Uh, the f- finale, I had just gotten the rough draft done, and I listened to the whole thing, and it ended, and I was like, he killed everyone. <laughs> That is exactly the conclusion that I came to the very first time that I listened to it. I was like, he, there's nobody there because he killed everyone. Literally everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So next Chamberlain question. Um, This, I want to give this listener, Ace of Almonds on Tumblr, a lot of credit for uh, citing all of their references. Um, But this person says, they came across a reference Chamberlain makes to staying in the cube in episode Season four, episode 17, Opposite Reactions. Based on the murder comic, M-U-R-D-E-R comic, this doesn't seem to be standard practice. Were experiments done on Chamberlain? Did he used to be more human? Was he lying in order to disturb Davenport and the Switcher? Or should I just make up my own headcanons and damn the rest? I mean, the last one. Definitely, yes. Yes, yeah. um, So one of the things that I've always maintained in my headcanon is because I can, as kind of Jeffrey put it, Chamberlain is not so much like 
he's a tool of the company, but he's a he's a he's on a leash. And like one of the things that has been brought up or that I, I've tried to put in multiple times is that he is not like he is not a good guy, even if what he's doing might help. Like in season two, he smashes the gun that could save everyone from the Woken Apocalypse because he does not actually care about anyone's lives. He just wants to kill Caligari. He went to the cube. Did he go to the cube? That's, yes. He, that's the core of the he, question. He goes to the cube. So he has to be disciplined to be to put him in or to keep him in line. And what my headcanon for his cube has always been is an office birthday party. <laughs> Possi- probably in his honor where he just has to sit and take it and either he is incapacitated in some way where he can't kill everyone or he kill like it's some sort of hallucination or something where he tries to kill everyone and like their necks just snap back into place and they keep going just past the cake george yeah (laughs) and he just sits there and they keep singing happy birthday and they keep being cheerful and engaging him in small talk and this is probably the most of chamberlain that is actually me It good, is good. it is just so painful, and that is how he is disciplined. So when he's referencing what they did to him in the cube, that it's is what's, really terrible. That is what's driving him to go after Davenport. <laughs> Can I just throw out that Davenport sends him to the cube, and I recall this very vividly because Ben's delivery of you know go to the cube, Chamberlain, but cube. I love that. <laughs> Go back and listen. That That is one of the lines that we all say to each other constantly. So I'm, I'm going to ask this question because when I tried to ask it, Jim avoided the question. There are a lot of Chamberlain questions. Popular guy. Yeah, he really is. Okay, so <clears throat> I tried to ask basically this question and Jim avoided it. So I'm going to try one more time. The soap lady asks, what the heck is Chamberlain? Is he even human? I imagine him to be a demigod of quick and painful death, a cyborg, a genetic experiment raised by robots, or an android piloted by three cats. So, what's the answer? I mean, clearly the three cats. Three cats, three cats, three cats. <laughs> cats, cats are evil murder machines that would kill us all if they could. Oh, so he's a little kitty Voltron. A reverse Voltron. <laughs> I will say, without actually answering the question, that if there, there is a line in the Chamberlain tapes that kind of addresses this, but you may need to brush up on dead languages to understand it. So everyone should join the Patreon and go brush up on your Latin or Greek or something. Yeah, can you tell us which Latin we need, which language we need to learn before listening? It, it is Latin because... Uh, Aramaic and ancient Hebrew and things like that don't show up in Google Translate in a way that makes it understandable to pronounce. <laughs> oh, good. I was afraid good. that uh, non-Euclidean geometry was going to constitute a language to you. So anybody out there who's listening and is like twisting their keyboard in fury that they don't have an answer to what Chamberlain is, I want to throw out that I was a huge Battlestar Galactica fan and like pseudo spoilers, a character turns out to be 
an angel, which is like not mentioned in any of the stuff in the prior seasons. And I felt that that was so disappointing. Like the mystery is, oh, that person was an angel. That's why the person did amazing things. And so I think it's better to have Chamberlain be a bit of a mystery and be whatever you need Chamberlain to be to make the story work for you. If we're like, yeah, he's definitely a robot, then it loses something. We'll talk. Battlestar Mark and I, we'll, yeah, we'll talk Battlestar Galactica off mic. BSG cast. That's a, that's a different podcast. All right, so that has been a whole round of listener questions. Uh, we will have more coming soon, but thank you all, and tune in again in the future for even more listener questions. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.